0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for his church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You cannot drink the, from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. He was making it clear that they couldn't have it both ways. He was calling them to a life of holiness. He was calling them to come out from among their pagan practices and out from among the pagans who don't even know God. And many in Corinth had chosen to embrace their old pagan ways, but instead... They repackaged the paganism and did so within the church and then they claimed it was the Holy Spirit that was doing all of these various things. So the Apostle Paul, beginning in chapter 12, is clearly laying out the guidelines for the proper conduct in the local body of Christ in relation to spiritual things and in relation to spiritual gifts. He's calling them out of their paganism and he's being very clear about it. He's correcting the abuses that are taking place within the church, and all, as I said, all of these things that are being done under the name or under the guise of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to be very clear that everyone understands it's not the things that are taking place are not the Holy Spirit. So let's look at our passage in verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now that word variety or varieties means divisions or distributions or distinctive gifts. There are divisions or a variety of gifts, different distributions of gifts that are given among the saints, all from the Spirit. And at this time, he's saying the one and only Holy Spirit of God, is working in the local church in a variety of ways. Okay, Some early gifts were for the purpose of deliverance. Some were even supernatural works. But again, uh, as we see even in the Old Testament, these signs, miracles, and wonders validated God's man and God's message. The purpose of these gifts was not to get all riled up and emotional and have an experience and enjoy a spiritual high. That was not the purpose. It was not to edify themselves or to seem spiritual to others as they each got their own little time in the super spiritual spotlight, right? Everybody, look at Joe. Isn't Holy Joe so spiritual? Look at what he's doing over there, all right? The purpose of the spiritual gifts that were given was so that the church could actually know God's will in order that they would be unified and work together toward accomplishing God's purpose, and ultimately in doing this in the body of Christ, it brings God glory. Verse five, let's look at verse five. He says, there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. So he's making this case here, supporting his first statement with another example. There are also divisions, or or distributions, or differences, or distinctions of various ministries within the church, but all are given by the Lord. All are given by the Lord. And make no mistake, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are one in perfect unity in regard to all things as they work to accomplish God's eternal purpose and plan within the body of Christ and reaching those who are His children. The whole point of these ministries that were given was not to create celebrity pastors, or to prove which person was the most intelligent, the most gifted orator, the best teacher, or uh, the, the, the greatest thinker or philosopher. The purpose of these various ministries that were given was, again, so that the church would actually know God's will in order that they would be unified and work together toward accomplishing His purpose, and in doing so, God would get the glory. Are you guys seeing a pattern here? Okay. So verse 6, And there are a variety of workings, but the same God who works everything in everyone. And that word workings means effects or the results or the outcome. He's working all of these things toward His desired outcome. The purpose of these workings, these results, was not so that someone could puff out their chest because their particular area of ministry saw more visible, quantifiable success than the ministry over here, right? The purpose of the various workings or results that were given was so that the church could actually, I'm going to be repetitive, but I want you to get it, so the church could actually know God's will in order that they would be unified and work together toward accomplishing His purpose and His plan, and that ultimately would bring God the glory, we see a sort of progression taking place here in this statement. God is the one who gives the tools or the gifts. God is the one who gives the knowledge of how to use the tools properly in the areas of ministry. And God is the one who brings about the end result. He's the one who accomplishes these, uh, the outcome. And anyone who would take credit... For these spiritual results is vain, they are boastful, and their arrogance honestly places them in spiritual danger. Continuing in verse 7, he says, "...but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable." It's all the same Spirit, it's all for God's purpose, and it's all for the benefit and unification of the local church, again, So they can accomplish his purpose and his plan, his way, his will, so that ultimately God would get the glory. Not man, but God. Put very simply, he uses the faithful people of God, empowered with the gifts of God, and through them, he accomplishes his purpose and his plan. It's real simple. It's always about him, and it's never about you. That's something that we should... Remember, when we are tempted to steal just a little bit of the glory, a little bit of the spotlight, it's not about you. It's all about Him. But let me be clear, there is great benefit to you. There's great benefit to the believer. For the one who submits to Christ and His Word, for the one who is gifted and walks, genuinely walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is used alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ to accomplish God's plan, in this lifetime that person and those people in the context of the local church will be satisfied in a very real tangible true spiritual sense they will be fulfilled in a genuinely spiritual manner and their lives will manifest fruit that is eternal and then of course we know god's word promises that they'll receive an eternal reward because they are walking In the Spirit. Now, next week, we're going to begin to look at some of these gifts that are following in these verses below. But first, I want to do a survey of what the Bible defines as the genuine works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. What does it look like when it comes to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you? I want to genuinely know all that God has for me to know, and do all that God has asked of me to do, I, I don't want to miss out on anything. But it's often confusing because there are all kinds of different voices proclaiming what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. If we were to take the word of some Christian movements, then all believers are supposed to be performing the same supernatural acts that Jesus And the apostles did. So, in other words, we should all be healing the sick, raising the dead, uh, commanding storms to dissipate and move, speaking in heavenly languages, taking trips to heaven, and we should be hearing God talk to us directly with new revelations almost daily. But is this what the Bible means when it tells us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are these the gifts... That every Christian is expected to utilize every day for God? Is that what's expected of us? The simple but obvious question that I always like to ask you is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible actually say? Well, here's what we know. The Holy Spirit's work is essential to the function of your Christian life. There's no doubt. No doubt about that. You must be Uh, If you're a child of God, you must walk in the power of the Spirit of God. But understanding the Holy Spirit's character and attributes are also essential to your proper understanding of who God is, as I said before, and God's nature. The Bible is clear about the various ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So I want to just spend a few minutes this morning clarifying some of those things so that you can know And you don't have to be confused. And when someone's doing these other things and claiming it's from the Spirit of God, you don't have to wonder, is that actually from God? Well, does the Bible say it's from God? If it's not in the Bible, then you shouldn't pay any attention to it. So first, the Holy Spirit's first work, it all begins with regeneration. Regeneration. The Bible is clear that we are all sinful, that we are incapable of being righteous, on our own. We are incapable of living a spiritual life without Christ. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says this. If you want to jot that down, you can read it later. Romans 3, 10 through 18. Romans 8, 7 through 9. Again, Romans 3, 10 through 18. Romans 8, 7 through 9. You see your mind before being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, was hostile to God. I want you to think what it means to be hostile. Whether you think you were or not, you're, you were hostile to God. And in your flesh, there was no possible way that you could please God. No way. Scripture actually describes you at that point in your life as being dead. You are spiritually dead. So how can someone who is dead do anything except what dead things do? Do you guys know what dead things do? Absolutely nothing except decompose. They actually get worse and more stinky, uh, right? That's, that's the way it works. They decompose. So how can anything uh, dead do anything except what dead things do? Let alone, how can a dead person take a step toward God? How could someone who is blind see? Paul explains this in Titus. If you'll turn to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Titus 3, 3 through 7, Titus 3, 3 through 7, here's what he says, For we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another, But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not by works, which we did in righteousness, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by whom? By the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, our salvation by His mercy, comes because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Every believer's story begins with the work of the Holy Spirit, with a miraculous new spiritual birth. What Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Holy Spirit raises you from death to new life. He gives you sight when you were blind, and He opens your ears to hear the truth when before you were absolutely and completely deaf to the truth of God. And this is the work of regeneration in the believer. In John six sixty three, 6, 63, Jesus says, The Spirit is the one who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So he connects the work of the Spirit, Jesus himself, connects the works of the Spirit and the Word of Christ. The words that I speak to you are Spirit and they are life. And it's, that's an important thing to note in your mind because in a few minutes later we're going to touch on something else. The Holy Spirit turned your wicked hearts toward God and then began His work in you. And this is another genuine work of the Holy Spirit and it's called sanctification. Sanctification and it leads to transformation. You cannot encounter God. You cannot have God indwell you and not be transformed in the process. Once you've been given new life, you're called to no longer live like you used to, but live now as a new creation. You put sin to death, you die to your own selfish desires. Colossians 3 5, Colossians 3, 5, says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. You are to live out your new identity in the likeness of Christ, in the true righteousness and holiness of God. You're supposed to imitate and obey Christ. God's Word tells us. Obviously, this is something that we all know we can't do on our own power. You don't do it by simply trying to change your moral behavior. That is legalism. And a lot of different religions, they can change their moral behavior, but there's no regeneration, there is no new birth. So they're false religions offering something that is a counterfeit to what is genuinely God's alone to give. The power and the presence of sin, even in the believer, will still assault you after your new birth. You're still going to face temptation, but it's the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that works in you as you are being transformed and being made more into the image of Jesus Christ. The genuine work of the Spirit grows you so that you will mature. If you're not maturing, you probably never had a genuine regeneration to begin with. The believer matures in Christ. That's all there is to it. You become more Christ-like, and this is vital in your spiritual life in Christ. And and why, it begs the question, why would we want a substitute, a cheap substitute, an emotional high uh, substitute, anything that the Holy Spirit actually has to offer? Why would we want that? The Holy Spirit is responsible for your full sanctification, your transformation. So it's essential then that you understand that you in your daily life have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You have to live a life of obedience. And if you're genuinely going to live a life of obedience and actually do it in freedom and joy, then the the regeneration and the working of the Holy Spirit has to be real. You can't fake that. And a lot of people fake that. What does it look like for you to be dependent on the Holy Spirit in your daily life? What's it going to look like in your life? Well, God's Word tells us. It's pretty simple. No guesswork. As we read in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, if you would turn there, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at a few verses here. We're not going to read through all of them. I'm just going to bullet point it for you, but you can follow along in, in the verses. Ephesians 5, verse 18, and as I said, the verses following... You'll read the description and see clearly what happens when you are filled with the Spirit. A command that God gives, be filled with the Spirit. And here's what happens. Verse 19, you'll speak to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's part of the believer's life of walking in the Spirit. Verse 20, you'll be thankful. You will give thanks always for all things. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I Maybe I'm not always on, on, on top of that one, but that's the point. We're, we're growing in that. We should be thankful always for all things. Verse 21, you will submit yourselves to one another. Verse 22, spirit-filled wives will submit to their husbands. Verse 25, spirit-filled husbands will love their wives sacrificially. Chapter 6, verse 1, spirit-filled children will obey their parents. Chapter 6, verse 4, spirit-filled fathers will not provoke their children to wrath. Verse 5, chapter 6, spirit-filled servants will be obedient. And chapter 6, verse 9, spirit-filled masters will treat their servants or their slaves properly. It's simple. It's tangible. It's practical. It is real-life, powerful living, walking in the Holy Spirit. All of your relationships are made right if you're walking in the Spirit. Maybe not overnight, but working in that direction. Your relationship with God is right. Your relationship with other people is right. The filling of the Spirit significantly affects all of your relationships. It can't help but affect all of your relationships because if you're living in a selfless manner, it's going to spill out on everyone around you. Now turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 16 and following. Colossians 3, 16. And you can just scan this as I'm just, again, going to bullet point it. We see the exact same sequence as we just read in Ephesians 5, where it described being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got it all right there in front of you. You've got the singing. You've got the thanks. The submissiveness, the wives and the husband, the children. You have the father, you have the servant, you have the master. Practically almost identical in every way to the passage that we just read. Now we already know what Scripture says caused that in Ephesians 5. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Well, we don't see that description here in this passage. We see all the same things, but we don't see the phrase filled with the Spirit. What's the phrase that Paul uses here in Colossians that causes the exact same result? Look at verse 16. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So being filled with Spirit is synonymous. What did Jesus say? These words I speak to you, the words of Christ, these words I speak to you, they are Spirit and they are life. So it's synonymous here in the same As the Word of Christ, God's Word, it's the same as God's Word richly dwelling in you. Same thing. And here's what I want you to understand completely. Being filled with the Spirit is not an emotional high. Of course, emotions are always involved, but that's not what drives you. It's not a zap from heaven or hearing the voice of God in a dream or having a supernatural vision. We know all of those things took place. All we have to do is read Scripture Shortly after Pentecost, in the age of the apostles, we saw those things taking place in the early church, and eventually God's Word was given. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are empowered, you can and will obey what the Scripture teaches. He gives you the power to do it. And through careful study, the Word of Christ will be deeply planted in your hearts and in your minds, the righteousness that you once hated, you will now long for, and your fleshly desires will no longer satisfy you the way that they did before you were saved. In fact, when you stumble in your sin from time to time, it will actually repulse you. You will know that it's wrong. You will reject the things that you once loved. You will also serve your family, and you will serve your local church family sacrificially, not because you're obligated to do so But because in freedom and love of Christ and what he's done for you, that's just an outflow of uh, what comes natural when you love the Lord and you're walking in freedom. The Holy Spirit will gift you and grow you in, uh, he'll grow spiritual fruit in you. And it's for the benefit of everyone around you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we see if you're walking in the Spirit of God, these are the tangible fruits that you will exhibit in your life. It's the genuine work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify the saints, but it does not happen to completion until we stand before God, until we stand with Christ, which brings up another point. The Holy Spirit does not seek to be the star of the show on a Sunday morning, we, we know in God's Word it teaches us that the work of the Holy Spirit is that He testifies or points to Christ. That's His job, to elevate Christ. The Spirit works by pointing the believer's attention to who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has already done. The Spirit of God bears witness to Christ's perfect life and obedience, Christ's wrath-absorbing substitution in the place of sinners, and the forgiveness and cleansing of sin that He offered you and I. He draws the attention to Christ's perfect righteousness, which He imputed to all of us who have trusted in Him. He points to Christ's resurrection, showing His power over sin and death. The Holy Spirit brings attention to Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us that because of the finished work of Christ, even though we sometimes stumble in our sins and weakness, God has in fact, adopted us as His own children. Romans 8, 16-17 says, that's Romans 8, 16-17, if we have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is an intimate relationship with God. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our darkest, most challenging trials of life. He will remind you in those times of God's love for you that it's never-ending. That nothing can steal you out of the palm of his hand, he never gives up on his true children. We can have that security, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that security. He secures our salvation, God's word tells us, he seals us. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also having having listening <laughs> after listening to the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise it never ceases to amaze me how many people believe that you can lose your salvation when it's god's work it's god's hand who does the saving and it's god's hand who does the sealing and you can't unseal something that god sealed can we just get that right? Verse 14. He's given the Holy Spirit is it says you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit secures the believer when he puts his faith in Christ. Not only does the Spirit of God get the believer in to Christ, through regeneration, but he also is the guarantee that you and I, if we're true believers, are going to make it to the end. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God's placed a seal on you and he's going to keep that seal on you until he delivers you before Christ himself. As a true believer, you can have full confidence that in Christ, God's view of who you are is not going to change, okay? You don't have to wallow uh, and wonder if God likes you or not because what did I say earlier? It's not about you. It's all about Christ. Jesus' finished work on the cross, living a perfect life, taking God's wrath, you've been regenerated by the Spirit, And the Bible says you receive a down payment, right? Sealed by the Spirit as a guarantee that when you step from this life into the next, you'll you'll gain that eternal payment in full. When you see Christ, the Bible promises we will be just as He is. The Spirit guarantees that what God has started in your regeneration in the beginning, what He authored in the beginning, He will finish in the end, what God's still doing in your sanctification, remember Philippians 1.6? Philippians 1.6, I'm going to uh, quote it for you. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no question for the true believer. Peter also describes God's sealing power in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5, stating that you are absolutely, firmly, eternally secure because you are being guarded. Listen to that. God's guarding you. You are being guarded by the very power of God, the Holy Spirit Himself. You think you can fall from grace if the Holy Spirit is guarding you? If God is guarding you to keep you from falling? And finally, the Holy Spirit distributes various spiritual gifts as we will begin to get into over the next few weeks. These spiritual gifts are different kinds of giftings or even services that we offer to God and we offer to the body of Christ for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, of edifying the body of Christ. Um, And again, we do so because we love Him. We do so in freedom. It's not an obligation. We will be looking Uh, as I said more closely at these gifts in coming weeks, but I can assure you that the gifts of the Spirit, they're not fantastical. They're not ethereal. There's no uh, shooting lightning from your fingertips and floating three inches off the floor, as some might have you believe. There isn't uncontrollable babble and repetitive utterances. That's mysticism. It isn't being knocked on the floor. It isn't spiritual convulsions or barking like dogs. It isn't unhinged laughter or fire tunnels. It isn't getting a word directly from God outside of Scripture. All of these things are being done in modern day churches. Justin Peters was supposed to be with us today and he had to cancel. I have to give you a little taste of what he would have given you had he been here. But all of these things are being done in the church today, and every one of them are attributed to a work of the Holy Spirit, that this is the Holy Spirit glitter coming from the ceilings. So you know if there's glitter coming from the ceilings, either the Holy Spirit uses glitter, or someone in that church is up pouring glitter in the, uh, in the air ducts and claiming that it's God doing it. Do you understand what we're dealing with? And it's tragic. It's tragic. Because the church is supposed to point to those, or point those, who are desperately lost and in need of Christ. And instead, they are pointing them to freaky sideshow attractions. They need the truth. They do not need entertainment. The Holy Spirit should be valued and loved by the body of Christ. He is part of the Godhead. He's God. You should love him. You should trust him. You should rely upon him daily. You should have communion with him without expecting him to be a magician or a genie in a bottle to give you everything that you could ever want. His genuine work regenerates us. It sanctifies us. It secures us. It edifies us as well as edifying the entire body of Christ. We cannot accept cheap imitation knockoffs of the Spirit of the living God. There is no substitute for the real, genuine work of the Spirit. We cannot make the Spirit of God an idol by making Him a mystical force that does all kinds of wacky, crazy things, We have to speak the truth. Biblical clarification. And that is what I'm trying to do for you this morning. The Holy Spirit is essential. He leads you. He guides you. And listen to me. This is so important. He directs you primarily by filling you so full of the truth of the Word of God, that that truth permeates you. It dominates you. It begins to be all you think about and you will think biblically and you will have the mind of Christ. By letting the Word of God richly dwell in you, you will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you yield to the truth of Christ in you, You will do what God wants you to do. You will say what God wants you to say. And you will be exactly who God wants you to be. If you are submitting to the truth of the word. And this will be life-giving in your own life, in your own relationship with God, in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, and in your relationship with the church, and in your relationship with all those around you who don't yet know Christ. So here's the thing. Here's what we must do. We must painstakingly do the work and study and show ourselves approved that we can work together to know the will of God and accomplish the work of God, the purpose of God, and the plan of God, all for His glory. Amen? Let's pray.